We're in the book of Exodus. We've been walking through the book of Exodus, looking for the gospel within the Exodus, in fact. And we're in Exodus chapter 4 today. Uh, I think it was Chandler when I was away when he spoke. He said, some of our men's groups take quite a while to walk through a, ch- uh, a book or two. And uh, we're moving right along. We've been in here a couple of months, and we're in Exodus 4. I'm feeling good about that. We're moving along. But I do want to tell you there's some exciting things happening uh, in, among God's people in the church today. And I know that there's a lot of things happening in our world. I think this teaching is timely, not just this teaching today, but the series that we're doing. Because God's people need to be reminded that God is still God. We need to be reminded that God has never left his people abandoned. Do you believe that? I said God has never abandoned his people. If you don't believe that, I pray God will reveal that more and more to you. But you don't need to be afraid. Uh, we, we're lifting up Israel today. We pray for Israel, uh, with the people of God there that we need to be lifting up. I want to encourage you to pick this book up at the Guest and Information Center. It's just my recommended reading for this series. It's called The Red Sea Rules. It's a great book. It's an easy read, but it's timely. It will help you in situations of your life and even what we're experiencing when we watch the news and see things in our world and things that are happening here local, things that are happening in your personal life. It's 10 rules. When you're up against what we might say a rock in a hard place, when you're up against the Red Sea and it feels hopeless, what do you do? This book is great. And we're going to explore some of that as we walk through this series uh, when we get to that. But I've been advertising it a little bit to you, and I just wanted to promote it a little bit today because I think it's very timely. So stop by the Guest and Information Center and, and buy one of those books. But I want us to pray before we get into the word. We're going to pray for Israel. Also, the India fundraiser went well yesterday. I heard great things about it. I hit the floor running. When I got back Friday, uh, we got back Friday about 1 o'clock, and I went to two wedding rehearsals that I was officiating weddings for on Friday night, and then I officiated two weddings yesterday. So I wasn't able to be at the missions fundraiser, uh, but I understand it was just awesome. And uh, it was beautiful, and, and we want to continue to lift up that team that's going to India. So let's make that part of our prayer, can we? Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that you are present with us. You are here in this place, but you are also the Lord of my friends in Missouri. And you are are the Lord over our friends across town here in other churches that are speaking and teaching the word of God. You are the Lord of those who are halfway around the world today in hiding because they're afraid for their lives, be it because of Christian persecution or just the wars that are going on. Lord, you are there, and I pray that that there would be a great awareness of your presence among your people. Father, I pray that even out of what's happening there in Israel, Lord, we would hear testimonies of how you divinely protected and led your people. Lord, we're just believing for that, that through this terrible thing that's happening, Lord, you will shine brightly in the darkness, that your people will shine brightly in the midst of all the darkness. And Lord, we we pray that you would protect your people. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem as your word instructs us to do. And Lord, we pray for peace. Lord, we're never going to experience peace in this world apart from you. And so Lord, the further we drift from you, the darker it's going to get. So I pray, Lord, that your people, me and and this church family, Lord, and, and others that are proclaiming your name and walking with you, we pray, Lord, that you would grant us your peace. It's a peace that the world can't know and can't give us. But, Lord, a a peace that comes from you, your peace, would be so prevalent in our lives that it would spill over or flow over to those around us. And we would help others to know your peace during these difficult times, we pray. 
I pray your peace over our families that are and individuals who are planning to go to India in December. Lord, we, we place that trip in your hands and we pray your protection even now and your preparation even now over all of those team members and uh, Lord, over their families, we pray for your peace. We pray for wisdom for world leaders. We pray for wisdom, oh God, from your leaders around the world. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So in the book of Exodus chapter 4, uh, we get into, we want to be reminded that, that Moses is still being spoken to by God here in, in chapter 4 through the burning bush that, that has been spoken about off and on over the last few weeks. A bush that was burning caused Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver God's people from bondage there. He's called for him to go, and then, of course, Moses is making all of his excuses of why he can't go, why he shouldn't go, all these things. Well, last week, Pastor Dan did a great job talking to you about the great I am. The, when Moses said, who, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? Tell them I am. Tell them I am that I am is sending you. And so Moses is still floundering around, still kind of looking for some excuses, and that's where we pick up in in. Exodus chapter 4. Moses still having this encounter with God here at the burning bush. Look with me, would you, at just the first few verses of Exodus chapter 4. The Bible says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. He says, If I go and talk to them, chances are they're going to say, The Lord didn't speak to you. If I go and speak to them, they're going to say, no, God didn't speak these words to you. God didn't appear to you. What am I supposed to do then? And so the Lord said to him, what is that that's in your hand? And Moses looked in his hand, and in his hand there was a staff. And so the Lord says, throw it on the ground. And he throws his staff on the ground and the Bible says when he threw it on the ground it became a serpent Moses says I'm out read it he had been he had been watching sheep on the backside of the desert it, you think he know, knew what serpents were about snakes were about when that thing turned to a snake he says I'm out Chandler was hunting without me here this last week he was out hunting on some land east of town. And I called to see how he did later that day. He goes, well, he says, I, I didn't get a deer, he said, but I did get startled real bad by a rattlesnake. I said, what did you do? He said, what did I do? I ran. <laughs> he said, as soon as I spotted it, I ran the other way as fast as I could. I felt like it was chasing me. I wonder if Moses felt that way. I'm gone. And Moses says, hold on, pick it up. And he t tells him very specifically, in fact. He says, after it became a servant, he says, put out your, your hand and catch it by the tail. Now, obviously, this didn't turn to a snake, and we're grateful for that. Somebody told me one time when I was traveling evangelizing, they said, Scott, they were totally joking. They said, Scott, you do realize here that we handle snakes. I said, say what? They said, yeah, we might bring a snake out in the middle of the service. And I said, well, if you do, I said, where's your back door? And they said, we don't have a back door. I said, where do you want one? <laughs> I said, because you bring a snake out, I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? Thankfully, that didn't turn to a snake. And so 
the Lord tells Moses said pick it up by the tail you don't do that you'd pick it up more by the head if you were going to pick it up but he picked it up by the tail so he put his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand again it's a staff the Lord says what's in your hand he says it's a staff he says throw it down he throws it down and then the Lord says don't run away pick it up he grabs it by the tail he picks it up and it's a rod in his hand again interesting that they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you I'm just going to stop with that this morning he also does some other things and what the Lord is doing there obviously some of the obvious lesson there is he's, he's telling Moses as we spoke a few weeks ago I will be with you and so you're not going alone God's saying I'll be with you and I'll work miracles through you and what just happened there was he's proving that in that moment that there would be miracles worked through the hands of Moses now I want you to think about this staff for just a moment not this one specifically but I want you to think about Moses' staff Moses had a job right I mean his responsibility was watching sheep on the backside of the desert his staff was very important to him we talked about that uh, even this last uh, summer as we talked about the rod and the staff they comfort us out of Psalm 23 you remember that and, and so we talked about the importance of a staff and the importance of a shepherd having a staff or a rod some translations would say but either way it's what was in his hand that rod or the staff that was in Moses's hand now I want you to think about that with me for a moment the staff would really represent if you would something that Moses was very familiar with something that he was comfortable with I think probably you know he had some notches in the side of it I killed that wolf I killed that snake I killed that predator that predator I ran off these bandits that came to take these sheep I did. he had some notches in that thing I don't know he might have got his knife out one evening by the fire and carved a big M in the side of it it was his man this was special to him maybe he picked up a few rocks baseball was invented maybe turned it upside down for some of us older guys four <laughs> he's hollering at the sheep or the shepherds in the next area this was special to Moses you got to understand that it wasn't just something that he had in his hand the Lord was speaking something to Moses in this moment you see the staff in Moses's hand was something he was familiar with comfortable with it was his he was proud of it I do believe the lesson God is trying to teach Moses in this moment is I'm going to work miracles through your hands I'm going to do some miraculous things if you'll trust me and you'll go that's one of the obvious lessons but can I tell you one lesson I think is not so obvious is I believe that when Moses threw that rod that staff on the ground and it became a snake I believe perhaps that God was allowing him to see the deceptiveness of what he was trusting in and depending on he was trusting in and depending on that which was familiar to him that which he was comfortable with that which was his he was trusting in what he could do you see, as long as he had his staff, he felt pretty secure out in the wilderness. He was taking care of business. He was doing his job, and he was doing it well, and, and he was, and he was, and it was all about 
Moses. And Moses now is being called by God to say, I'm calling you to get outside of yourself and do something for me. I'm calling you beyond where you've ever been, and I'm going to use you in ways that you've never thought, dreamed, or imagined. I'm getting ready to use you. And I believe perhaps that in that moment as he threw down that rod and he saw it turn to a serpent, perhaps he began to see the deceptiveness of relying on himself. Do you ever have a tendency to rely on yourself as opposed to trusting in God? I'm tempted. I've been there and no doubt you have as well. You know, when we rely on things that are ours, we can be deceived by them. The deceptiveness of success, the deceptiveness of money, the deceptiveness of education, the deceptiveness of past experiences, the deceptiveness of expertise, the deceptiveness of relationships, the deceptiveness of talent and ability. Maybe even it's just loving our life so much that we don't want anything to change. We just like how things are right now, and we don't want anything to disrupt what we have and the life that we have. Nothing that would affect our lives or change our lives. So God has him throw it down. And when he throws it down, as God commands, I want you to notice something. Perhaps he did see the deceptiveness of it. Perhaps he's recognizing God's going to work miracles through, through what's happening here. Already God is at work. But more importantly, I want you to recognize this in this moment. God allows him to take it back up. God allows him to take that which is familiar and that which he's comfortable with and maybe what represented him. He throws it down and God lets him pick it back up. You know, sometimes we think when God asks us to give him something, sometimes it seems we think he's going to take it away from us. But did you know that sometimes he blesses it and gives it back? Or maybe he blesses it and uses it beyond what we could ever use it for. Think of the young lad with the two little fish and the five loaves of bread. It was his lunch. It was his lunch. But when Jesus needed it, here it is. And God blessed it beyond what mama or daddy, when they helped that little boy pack his lunch perhaps that day, God, God blessed it beyond what they ever thought would be blessed. God blessed it beyond what that little boy could ever imagine. When he gave it to the Lord, the Lord used it greatly, didn't he? Maybe God's asking us today to lay down some things that he could, he's not asking us to totally give it up, but just give it to him so he can bless it and do something powerful and miraculous with it. Sometimes God will allow us to take up our staff again, but this time it is his and not ours. That's point number two in your outline. Please notice that. Don't miss that point. God allows Moses to take up the staff again, but this time it is not his. It belonged to God. I was reminded as I was praying for you and for this teaching this week, on the way back I was reminded uh, of a story I heard about a dad who had this cute little girl who had some fake pearls, some fake pearls, and she was so proud of that necklace, that, that pearl necklace. Of course, they weren't going to give her a real pearl necklace at, at her age. She was just a young girl, but they, she had gotten some pearl, uh, fake pearls, and, and she was so proud of those. And one day her daddy came to her, and he said, he said, baby, would you, would you give daddy your pearls? And she says, no. You know how your kids can be, or grandkids, right? No, they're mine. And he says, no, baby. He says, would you, would, you give dad, would you give dad your pearls? No. 
just wouldn't give them up. Finally, he says, baby, I know you love your daddy. She said, yes. He says, do you trust daddy? She said, yes. He said, give daddy your pearls. She took them off her neck and gave her daddy her fake pearls. And from his pocket, he pulled out a real necklace, real pearls, and exchanged those fake ones for real ones. Of course, him and mama helped look after it, but gave her a real pearl necklace. See, sometimes we hold on to things in our lives as if they're ours and that we don't trust anybody and not even God. God, if you ask me to give this up, but sometimes he's just asking us to lay it down, to throw it down, to see the deceptiveness of relying on ourselves. And when Moses picks that staff back up, friends, let me tell you, it's no longer his, now it's God's. God allowed him to pick it back up, sure, but now it doesn't belong to him. It's not his in terms of possessiveness and ownership. Now he says, Lord, this is yours. Do with it what you will. And I want to show you a scripture that verifies this. Look with me in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, just a few verses later. I want you to notice that after Moses goes to his father-in-law Jethro and says, I need to go back to Egypt, and he releases him to go, look with me very carefully. If you're one to mark in your Bible, mark this. Verse 19, and the Lord God said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all that seek your life are dead. We've read that. We've talked about it. Then the next verse says this. So Moses took his wife and his sons and he had them ride the donkey and went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. It had been Moses' staff. It had been Moses' rod. And now in verse 20 it tells us he picked up the rod, the staff of God. See, when we give it to the Lord, often he gives it back to us. He's not trying to take our talents and abilities away. He's not trying to take away those things that we love and the things that we're passionate about. He just wants us to offer it to him so he can bless it and do something great with it for his glory and for the good of not only ourselves, but maybe more importantly, for those around us. See, Jesus knew something about letting go. Jesus knew something about letting go of things and taking it up again, didn't he? We're looking for the gospel now here in the Exodus chapter 4. Look with me in the gospel of John chapter 10 and verse 18. Referring to himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of laying down his life for his sheep, that the good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus is speaking of his own sacrificial death that he would give his life for all of mankind. Listen to his wording. He says in John chapter 10 verse 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus knew something of throwing it down, laying it down and taking it up. You see, he wrestled even in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? He wrestled with the Father, if, if you will, in that moment. He said, oh, Father, if there's any other way, let it be that, that this can come to pass, then, then let it be. But then he says, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. That's laying it down. Laying it down. Jesus laid down his life. Can I tell you that nothing took Jesus' life? No one took Jesus' life. He willingly, with love, gave his life for, the, for all of mankind. He loves us. We sing those songs about the greatness of God's love for us. Indeed, he does love us. 
Jesus willingly gave his life. We were lost in our sins. Our lives would be required of us as a payment for our wrongdoing, for our sinfulness. But Jesus laid down his life in our place. He lived this life. Now think about this with me for a moment. Jesus lived this life like you and I for 33 years on this earth approximately. He had friends. He had acquaintances. People liked to be around him. He was invited to parties and weddings and dinner at people's homes. People enjoyed him. He had friends. He liked to be around people. They didn't just like to be around him. He liked to be around them. The human part of him The human part of Jesus, no doubt, wanted to fit in at times and and be liked and valued and to feel that value from people. Yet in his divinity, he knew he was created for more than just fitting in and more than just being a good guy, a good old boy. He knew he was created for more. And out of love, he gave his life for all of mankind. Did you ever think about that, at the, that Jesus was there at the start of creation? The Bible tells us that, right? Even in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us that Jesus was there at creation. On down in John, chapter 1, tells us that nothing was created apart from him. Did you, did you ever really consider the fact that Jesus grew the very tree? He created the tree. He grew the tree that he would die on. He loves us. He laid his life down. No one took it from him. He laid it down and with power and authority, conquering death, conquering the grave, he was raised to life again. He spoke even of laying it down and taking it up to his disciples numerous times, although they didn't get it. I'll lay my life down in three days. I'll raise it up. I'll take it up again. They didn't understand that, but he spoke of it. He knew about laying it down and taking it up. Jesus knew something about letting go of this life, we might say, and then taking it up with more fullness, the fullness of life. Let me tell you, whatever you're relying on today, if it's not the Lord Jesus, whatever you're trusting in and relying on, whatever you've marked as yours and you're you're comfortable with it and familiar with it to the point that you trust in it more than you trust in God, I pray that the Lord will let you see the deceptiveness of it that maybe that very thing that you're leaning on and relying on is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of what God has for you, the fullness of what God will do in you and through you and for those around you when you'll give it to him. He invites us to do the same as he did, to lay down our lives and allow him to raise it up. I want you to notice this with me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Praise team, would you come? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Jesus invites us. He says to you and to me and to the whole world, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Wait a second. This is mine. Mine, like the little girl, right? Mine. No, we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Isn't that beautiful? Those who will give themselves to the Lord Jesus, offering everything we have to him, will find more fullness of life, more fruitfulness of life, more blessing of life, You see, through sin, man placed himself on the throne of his life 
in place of God. Sin caused us to do that. Placed ourselves on the throne of our lives in the place of God. Generally, a man desires a life of ease, a life of comfort, a life free from trouble and chaos, a life of honor and happiness. And men often do all we can to accomplish these things in our lives. And often we do it at the expense of what lies ahead in the next life. We trust in everything in this life and hold it so closely. We do it at the expense of what God offers us in the life that is to come. But Jesus tells us that if we'll deny ourselves, take up our cross, live for Christ, identify with him, that we too may be raised to a newness of life in Christ Jesus, a life of faith, a life that's lived in the power of the Spirit, a life that is lived in submission to the will of God, a life that says as Jesus, not my will, your will be done in my life. It requires us to throw it down, lay it down, give it to God, 